0: Boy. Oh To Radio Free Demos, an Ix and Draconis fan podcast currently broadcasting from Asaph Hall at Lake Voltaire on Demos. We just received an alert from the Demos Weather Authority that Demos is experiencing weather. Huh. Hmm. Uh, this seems to be a result of a rotational shift caused by loose bowling balls. <laughs> this is Radio Free Demos, episode 25, host chatter. We're wrapping up the first major arc of Radio Free Demos episodes over the next couple of weeks or sessions talking about blips and more character generation stuff, I think maybe surgeries and modifications and then some transitional general things. After that we'll probably hit Halloween and Christmas and have a few special episodes and then begin a long walk through the megacorps with lots of material from the new lore book and a fair bit of our input and commentary. That's kind of long term though, today's episode is blips, uh, custom creation critters for all of your snowflake needs. We'll also be talking about the lore book, which is currently the obvious big news in the HSD universe, pick up a question from a long time ago concerning vectors and mental health, and then possibly talk about our ongoing series of campaigns, and then we'll ask the hosts what they think is awesome this week. So first, let's get to know the hosts. With me this week, and thankfully every week, is Ashtar, Wines, and I'm Corbeau.
1: Hello. Arf.
0: Arf. Do Foxes bark like that? I don't. I don't know. They can. Okay.
1: Foxes are clever. Hmm.
0: So, since we're talking this week about crazy custom creature creations, guys, what body modifications are y'all really wanting this year? Personally, I'm looking for a laser death stare. I know that's off uh, off limits right now. And failing that, a really nice long blonde mane. It's going to be really pretty.
1: Hmm. I'd say striped hanging erectable mane technology it makes mm-hmm. any size clothes fit. Just fluff out until they're snug.
2: Is there a sound effect for that? Like,
1: oof. <laughs>
2: okay. I mean, foxes are already perfect, but well, that's maybe given. another couple of tails. Yeah. You know. Okay. Isn't there a waiting list for those? <laughs>
0: 1,000 years per?
1: <laughs> with the Lee, I didn't know tails grew there. <laughs> series. <laughs>
0: How can anything that big hide for so long a
1: time? Yeah, I wonder what their next move will be.
0: So the big news this month is the lore book has been put out into the wild. If you were one of the backers at the $35 level or more, you may have gotten your hands on a PDF of the test version of this product. There's a lot of fun information in there, a lot of color about the corporations, and I have personally made it through page 80, going very slowly on this one. So the big theme for the book so far, again, I'm like halfway through the players section of the book. It's divided into two parts, players and GMs, seems to be dedicated to the concept of really trashing the utopia feel of the original product.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: Providing context. Yeah, I guess so. You could
0: say that. We're looking at the world of HSD through its inhabitants and then taking a step back into the shoes or paws of inhabitants that have done a little bit of research that maybe know a little bit more what's going on. Looking beyond the surface veneer of happy consumerism to whatever's underneath, whatever set it up. The kind of semi-governmental structures that are built up in this society for a long time, Sev has been saying that the only reason that it looks like Utopia is because nobody really knows what's going on behind the curtains. And I think this is our
2: first peek behind the curtains in a meaningful way. Well, that's what you get when you only read the marketing department output. I, I, I like Pulse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: In particular, I think we talk a little bit about uh, how poverty affects some vectors, uh, the cost of consumerism, what it's like to be in a in a progenitus territory if you don't have much money or social standing, which is not good. Even some idea of what it's like to be kind of on the criminal end of things. It's pretty bleak in places. I mean, there's not mass death and devastation, but... Uh, it's pretty clear this is a society that's built by the corporations for the corporations and the vectors for the most part exist just to kind of keep the economy churning. <laughs> Nobody read the book, did they? No. no? Ashtar? No. <laughs> okay. So it's just me then. Um, welcome to the Corbeau show. Broadcasting, <laughs> broadcasting from ASAP Hall at Lake Voltaire at my desk on Demos. Um, so we look, we open up the book with uh kind of this dedication to subverting pleasant delusions. We walk through a history section that is, it's kind of divided into eight chunks, most of which focus on Earth history. So moves through ancient history, birth of vectors, the proto-vector period, um, nuclear war, the rise of Hydra, and then the rest. So it focuses very closely on the sections leading up to the end of civilization as humans know it. At this point, although I haven't gotten to the GM section, doesn't seem to pay very much attention to the centuries that come afterwards. There's a timeline that kind of illustrates the major plot moments from the next 700 years of vector history. Well, anyway. It doesn't seem to spend a lot of time focusing on events leading up to the present time, but kind of the prehistory of Vector Civilization. Mm-hmm. Which, again, the book is focusing on canon doubt, canon uncertainty, and these are places that have a lot of both. We don't really know what happened after, before the end of Terra, but we have a much stronger sense of what's happened in the 700 years after that. We think. We get a neat look at the space routes and space lanes of the soul, and one thing I'm really thrilled to see is that uh, we have Station number 17 Thank you so much to our listeners, which is in a close orbit around the four Deimos blue sky. It's really close to home for us, I think. I'm excited about that. So station, Voltaire Station is going to be a thing, and it's going to be right there in the center of where Demos used
2: to be.
1: How can any race be so stupid? Ah, oh, don't ask me any questions. I'm just a hard hand just like you.
0: Moving on to questions and opinions, we have a topic from last May that we can finally open up with some actual canon. Uh, That question was from Thirteen Swords, who on the HSD Discord channel asked, How do vectors deal with depression and suicide? There was a follow-up comment from Cloak later on who said that he felt that lack of motivation is something we'd really have to work towards eliminating in a consumer workforce economy. So most corps would want to avoid employee downtime and would have very good psychiatric services. And a dead worker is not a productive worker. As it turns out, I think the tone of the new lore book and some of the content there kind of says otherwise. I don't remember. We we were originally kind of fielding this question months ago and we decided not to pursue it. I don't remember what we really talked about. Ashtar, I think you were proposing a lot of quick fix medications and things like that. Sounds about right. And my own character has a behavior modification implant to make his life more interesting and challenge the other PCs. <laughs> but I was thinking that uh, likely mental treatment would have evolved to some degree or another over the last 700 years.
2: Evolved is one way to put it. <laughs> Upgraded might be a different way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, add some nice circuitry in there and see what you can get. So our first look So our first canon look at mental health in Vector Society comes from, of all places, the section on Longbow, which seems like a fairly crazy location. I wouldn't think people live long enough to have mental problems of Longbow. I think that over time we're going to see the various grottos turn into more important plot fixtures as a place where people that are aggressively against Vector Society go and hang out. So we get Longbow, where people live crazy, feral lifestyles. And the Empyrean, which uh, has ancient, strange, mythical creatures living in a Star Trekian royal society.
1: Hmm. I hadn't heard of that one. The
0: Imperium? It's where the mythicals live. Oh. We oh. talked about it. Okay. No? Like flying golden space hyenas?
1: <laughs> you just made those up to make me interested. <laughs> <laughs> I, did. I did. I did. And it worked. It yeah. did. It did.
0: So I think that in some ways, the garage is treated like uh, 20th century television would treat like a crazy religious cult. It's a place to have an exciting adventure to rescue someone from their their clutches. And then you have to spend some time deprogramming them because they've gotten these weird insular ideas in their heads. So
1: kind of like Australia?
0: A little like Australia, uh, like substantial portions of West Texas as well. So in this context, they're talking about rescuing someone from Longbow who's been there and gone native, I guess. So the book says that mental health care has largely slipped backwards uh, since human days because vector society is kind of focused on quick fixes, on easy answers, and not really investing in the individual so much as investing in processes and economy. So it's really going to be more uh, magic pills and social behavioral implants and things like that. Not the years that it takes to work through therapy. It's not for the short attention span.
1: So somebody's gone feral after being sent to Longbow. So he's been not raised by wolves. Uh, but, um... <laughs> Thank you. To, uh, <laughs>
0: Minimi, can you please play the sad tuba (laughs) sound effect at this point? That's sad tuba, number one, three, five. (laughs) I I have help to do that, Ashtar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, rescuing them from, I guess, from the grotto's brainwashing, from Uh the the madness that that they'd settle in after living wild for months and months and months, or whatever happens in Longbow, whatever their weird simulation of uh, wilderness is. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like wilderness with artificial gravity. Do they even have artificial gravity on Longbow? Or is it like floating feral wolf things chase, <laughs> chasing
1: anguished deer laterals through zero micro g? I don't know. I, I, I don't see wolves frantically air paddling in the middle. Of nowhere, with waiting for an air current to bring them back in contact with the wall <laughs> as being the kind of lifestyle anybody wants. Well, it's their imagination of what it's like to be a feral.
0: Maybe they've never actually seen wolves running on a level surface. Wolves with
2: jetpacks. But, but they don't have technology, right? I guess not. It's a good question. I don't think it ever really said that they absconded. They're not absconded. Well, they have a feral lifestyle. Shoot. It's all about, like, eating
0: stupid people and humping all the time. I mean, it's like, it's like idealized feral, I guess, which is kind of murderous and rapey. I'm speculating. Maybe this is—maybe I'm
2: just— well, I, see,
1: I see that's where you go with it.
2: <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, I mean, even the example in the original book implied that the knowledge was not lost. Because the example was that someone who— who visited Longbow, and even if they hunted the natives and got away successfully, they might find their um, transport sabotage because you're, you're dealing with laterals, but you're still dealing with intelligent vectors who may not want to go face on against a vector with a gun. Well, I don't think they're going to be necessarily entirely lost to the feral mindset like you might get with
0: a lateral vector shark in the waters, but it's— they're not living technologically-enabled lives. I think that's kind of fairly stated because they're trying to live this idealistic, well, mal- mal-idealistic, feral lifestyle. And that presumably does not involve jetpacks. I figured that there's someone who has the, lo- the lore and possibly the keys to the air-conditioning ducts so they can do repairs on the vital sections of the spaceship— well, the, the
2: elephant in the room there is... The elephant in the room. Hi, <laughs> uh, Tina. <laughs> uh, a bunch of ferals are not going to keep a space station alive. Space stations are generally going to be much closer to the thin film between life and frozen death of space than just about anywhere else. It, it is a harsh environment, even in the 2800s, whatever you choose. Um,
1: Maybe they bought it with a long-term service contract.
2: I mean, that's one option. Or they have a benefactor, uh, private or otherwise, or the corporations or Marsco maintains it as a pressure out for the culture that they want to maintain. No, I really have a hard time believing that one. Well, you, when you look at the expense of actually keeping a large space colony like this running, it don't run itself. No. really <laughs> uh, not. <laughs>
1: So I have the image in my head of like a buy spot made from bamboo bones and and, coconuts. Yeah, kind of Gilligan's Gilligan's Island level technology. And you worship there and, you know,
2: periodically something broken will appear. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're looking at some of the Starship technologies that they have and just some of the what's implied as trade goods. If the primary bulk of your manufacturing is still 3D printing, you have to have raw materials. This is not a completely recyclable economy. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to be getting... It, it is unlikely to be a completely lossless oxygen air system or water system. And even if it is, the filters and the machinery to keep that running are going to have maintenance. To Say nothing of power or the food income to maintain an entire system of very dense apex predators. So... <laughs> The pole skies are pretty dense. In fairness,
1: (laughs) it don't run itself. I I could see if if they go for a more primitive style to the inside of the station. I could see having a lot more green spaces, which would reduce the reliance on technology for keeping the air clean and stuff like that. But but yeah, it'd have to have a very very low population density for that to to work long term. And. I don't know if we have plants that seal micro holes in, in the space halls yet.
0: I don't know either. I suspect not, uh, unless it's a TTI living. No, because all blue skies are made by Marsco, so that wouldn't be the case. Blue skies have a lot of greenery in them.
2: That's that's a feature. Look around our station. Space is not cheap. Yeah. Most, most... <laughs> Ashtar, are you kidding? This cost us 170 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and there's not a lot of space here. Yeah. Uh, I bring up my bathroom, for example, that being said, if you look around space stations they 're just not roomy like you you pay a premium for space you You pay a premium for the space, both for the build but also to keep that filled with air um, and to keep that air clean and to keep an ecosystem going that is even remotely sustainable and When you look back to the type of um, on a planet side, like the size of a wilderness. And ecosystem that's required to support even a very small uh, family grouping of apex predators like wolves. There's got to be stuff coming in to support this.
0: Well, I, I don't necessarily. I guess I could have read up to page 120, which I haven't yet, where they address this in much more detail. Also, I feel like we're veering wildly off topic, but. I think I think that you could argue that Longbow is not just the feral community that's been developing there in a sort of Dr. Moreau style weirdo, bizarro ecosystem. There's likely leaders behind it that have some nefarious agenda or are trying to stay aggressively off the grid using a moat of feral wolf things to separate themselves from bill collectors. Uh, most grotto people, it seems, really want to stay off the grid, avoid contact with the megacorps, possibly because of debt collectors, possibly because they'll lose their valuable intellectual property. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons to avoid the megacorps, and it's very hard to avoid the megacorps. And I think a fairly efficient place to do that would be off the grid, surrounded by feral, rapey wolves. I'm sorry. You come back to this point again. (laughs) I I do.
2: (laughs) On the other hand,
1: secret research colony into the Primal soul of a vector. It, 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 interestingly, parallel news story on on Ars Technica recently no. is that a medical corporation, in order to avoid some sort of legal problems, gave the patent for something to an Indian tribe to move it into a place where it cannot be prosecuted against. That's brilliant. Yeah. Which, if you told me that that was the subject of your science fiction story, I would have said that's that's dumb. <laughs> but this has happened in the real world, so apparently not. Intellectual property is fun. Yeah, imagine how safe is your intellectual property when the complaints desk is on Longbow. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, so, so the, the point you're mentioning, Ashtar, with the, the Apex Predator stuff, but a point they make frequently is the vectors are are fundamentally human, right? So are the wolf vectors carnivores? Welcome to the Longbow Complaints Department. Please take a number and (laughs) douse yourself in this tasty broth.
0: Please please take
1: a number and eat it so that you'll (laughs) you'll have a thick marbling of fat when you're later consumed.
0: Well, another thing we don't really know is do lateral vectors breed true? Uh, If they have a sad little humanoid critter who's thrown into this feral mix, how long is that guy going to last when he can't outrun... Uh, pack number four yeah but, but which is a good background for my next character
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but but so two questions is one are meat-eating uh, are vectors who are patterned after meat-eating animals are they actually carnivorous on, on longbow yes i think we can assume that because they're living this
0: pararomantic uh, are, are they absolute carnivorous, are they
1: genetically though? carnivorous no
0: they're they are they eat the same diets that humans do okay with probably less grease what about the laterals they're still humans.
1: Okay, so, so, so the la- presumably the lateral weasels could eat cabbage if they wanted to.
0: Yes, although that's not the
2: pararamantic trope that's being established on longbow.
1: Viciously eat cabbage. Yeah, they'd really take that cabbage <laughs> apart.
2: I find it kind of amusing having like a pack of longbow wolves taking down a deer and then stuffing it full of like <laughs> nutrient packs before they rip into it so they get both sides of a balanced meal.
1: I think Longo is going to perceive that we don't take them very seriously.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What are they going to do?
1: That's true.
0: Send us an angry email? (laughs) Wolves with (laughs) jetpacks. So really, I feel like we're deviating away from this little micro topic, which is mental health. Although we may be demonstrating a lack of same. What we learned here is that vectors are vector society, with the possible exception of progenitus does not invest in long-term care for mental problems. They're there for short fixes. They're there for implants. They're there for VR reconditioning. That's a concept.
1: Oh, that's a concept. All right. So, so I'm thinking back to Jack Chalker's series, four Lords of the diamond, in which I was just about to take a drink and I had to put it down. I'm sorry, not CJ cherry this time. <laughs> um, it, it's a solar system that you can't come back from because of a plot reasons. And so it becomes a, a, a prison system. It's, it's a place to send people who are not suitable for living in polite society, but they're too interesting to kill, like mad scientists uh, or people that it's like, you know, well, you do horrible research. So here, go go do it on this prison planet where we don't like really, morality doesn't apply. I mean, if you had somebody who went kind of crazy with the lateral feral thing, you could recondition and put them down or just ship them off to Longbow where everyone's like that. Presumably that there's other colonies where people with other alternate views of the world might fit in better. And maybe that's just easier. It's it's like, well, rather than recondition you to the standards of Mars, you'd fit in just fine on Viking space space station or whatever. Or we can just recondition you and keep you a happy
2: consumer. Also an option? Yeah, that's the cheap solution. I believe the last time we touched on mental illnesses kind of brought the idea that a lot more of what we are discovering about our bodies and about mental illnesses has a physical component. So I think that the underpinning of the magic mental pill is going to go a long way within the Vector Society for taking care of what ails you.
0: Uh, Uh, It definitely would solve the symptoms. I don't know if it – not all – Depression, not all mental illness is caused from biochemical imbalances. Some of it is caused from a combination of life and imbalances. If you're happy and you don't care, spend your money. Oh, no, absolutely. It says in the lore book that frequently behavioral therapy is more like brainwashing than anything else. The important, the end result is to have a happy consumer back in the field.
2: It's a product as much as a service. But there you bring up the other point, which circles right back to the VR conditioning. What did L- you hear about the VR conditioning? Literally brainwashing. So very much in sci-fi, you'll see uh, VR, con- VR conditioning being brought up as a combination with, in combination with, like, test tube babies. So if you have a test tube baby or an artificial womb... How do they wear the goggles? You don't wear the goggles. Oh. They don't do anything. Oh. Force growth, essentially. So, and via vector actually touches upon this in that a vector for the first two years of their life is a net drain on society, and that is not economically prosperous. A vector between two and twelve to fourteen fourteen's uh, getting a little bit too far, so let's say between two and about Eight to ten where they really start realizing that they can buy things or make mommy buy them, that they can that they have a voice in the economy is also less than ideal. And taking adult vectors out of the economy and out of the purchasing power and out of the workforce to care for the little darlings also has a cost to the economy. What if you could have your babies and then a year later they'd be eight years old and ready to actually talk to you and be people already? That's a step down dystopia that hsd does not
0: currently go down but they indicate that it's a road they're willing to look down
2: <laughs> so that that is growth tanks force growth hormonal growth that type of thing that accelerates the physical development of children and this is a common theme in a lot of dystopian sci-fi but to pair that you also have to have a certain mental emotional intellectual growth because you you don't want a newborn with an eight-year-old body coming out of a growth tank. Well, and I think that Vector Society
0: has benefited frequently by having some entertaining, energetic, inventive people. I think if you get something like CJ Sherry's, what are the programs?
1: The, 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 the Aussie,
0: yeah, the Aussie, which Dream. are. No, I didn't say. He didn't say it. <laughs> I said it. Still counts. Okay, um, if you get something that's like pre-programmed and pre-generated like that, that's that lacks the inventiveness that I think Vector Society does value. It's a competitive
2: workforce. Well, like I said, the other half of that, though, is how do you train someone who's in a growth tank and is kind of unconscious? Traditional models don't work, but Vector doesn't really seem to have the direct brain concept down completely that is problematic with growing brains anyway. Uh, ASR is learning to scan brains but not import into them. This is where isolation tanks, sensory deprivation, and VR technology, which are all kind of related, all start coming in. So when you look at VR imprinting or VR training, you're basically doing a full sensory training barrage. And if you look at some of the brainwashing or the interrogation methods that we've already seen in the real world, you know, you're, you're taping people's eyes open and forcing them to watch propaganda and listen to propaganda and just battering down their psyche until the, the propaganda just completely gets into their head. VR is an order of magnitude worse. In that sense, in breaking down your sense of self, in breaking down your willpower, in breaking down who you are and rebuilding it to the way that a corporation wishes to do that. Combine that with some um, drugs that will make someone more impressionable or lower their willpower even further. And you do have a very effective brainwashing method. And this is not purely sci-fi.
0: No, no. I think we talked about that with uh, Shock Doctrine a couple of episodes ago. Yeah.
2: And it is definitely not utopia.
0: Well, and I think that we are fundamentally looking at the difference between reprogramming and long-term therapy. I don't get the sense that vector society quite demolishes the psyche and rebuilds from there. Not in the like two paragraphs we have in front of us. Perhaps they do. I mean, perhaps that's how TTI handles a progenitus employee or vice versa. But it doesn't seem to be the, the go
1: to approach. Probably not. You know, what role playing game is going to spend a lot of time on this? I mean, presumably this exists in all RPG universes. GURPS. It's just not. Two pages on brain hacking. <sighs> GURPS. Yes. <laughs> I believe Dandy has always
2: had a couple of spells around that <laughs> brain hacking. I, I like playing damaged characters. As with many other things, though, it is a tool. And you could use it for good purposes, to help with PTSD, to remove some of the scar, psychic scars of tragedy, <sighs> loss, trauma, things that damage people internally. Now, while that may be a growth experience for people coming back from that type might also be easier just to wipe it away and continue on if it never happened. Well, but um, I don't think we're exactly talking about the ethics of doing this, just that what capabilities exist. Yeah. yeah, We're dealing with
0: a strong emphasis on short-term results versus long-term curing. If you can actually cure a lot of mental conditions, you can only sometimes just work with them and soften them where you can. Um, so... We don't really know what the long-term fallout of this would be in terms of the amount of people riding in strange blood runes on the walls, or going and joining Longbow. And it's it, again, this is definitely a place where we dip into a more dystopian view of society, though.
2: Or just mysteriously taking ill and tragically passing when the uh, when the damage is too great and they no longer can rejoin society.
1: <coughs> I'm <coughs> not a very Utopian mood tonight? Am I? No, no <laughs> clearly not. We should all uh, uh, my ice cream. I'm also thinking of, of Anne McCaffrey's decision at Duna series, where the the premise it starts with is dystopian, overcrowded Earth, but the main family has just a kid who's just an annoying, loud kid. Which in future overcrowded Earth, there's all sorts of fines levied against them. It's very expensive to get thicker walls so that the neighbors don't complain so often. But the the chance that they have a, ch- the moment they have a chance to go off planet to a world that has to be developed, the family just jumps at it because this is the one place. Their kid who in modern Earth would just be a boy, but in future everyone has to walk in lockstep and be quiet because they're so overcrowded. That is just unacceptable behavior but they they have a neat scene where the colonists are finally kind of getting out um and like someone's across the field and someone's saying hey fred hey fred and it's like oh he can't hear me and then like someone realizes hold on and just yells hey fred top of his lungs and everyone turns around and stares at him because you don't yell and then realizes wait we can yell we're outdoors now Well, that's that's why I, I like the notion of situational sanity or insanity. If if the world is a big place and you can go lots of different places, and it's not hard to go from one side of the solar system to the other. If you've got some money, it seems like that would be kind of tempting rather than having your kids or your funny uncle take happy pills.
0: Yeah. If you're kind of mildly sociopathic, go to a spyglass town.
1: Yeah. Well,
2: that's great for PCs. And that's great for some of the people more at the fringes of society, but I suspect that that would not work out quite so well for the people deep in corp towns or corp nations or other very deeply urban areas. Not everyone everyone can be shipped off to of the colonies.
1: Yeah.
0: I think we'll, we'll find some of this as we open up the books and learn a little bit more about the way vector society is built and how modular it actually is. I don't know if we have answers there yet.
1: This is the most fantastic story I've ever heard. And every word of it's true, too.
0: So, taking a moment to look at our Sunday gaming sessions, we're taking a little break from Exundraconis as Ashtar recharges his creative batteries, and I've been running a short session of Werewolf the Apocalypse. As I found out, Werewolf the Apocalypse at our table does not involve any actual werewolves, except those that I've brought to the table, as the party is a hyena, a fox, a rat... And a birdie of some sort. Crow. Yeah. No actual <laughs> no actual werewolves at this particular apocalypse. That's okay. That was the game that we were looking for anyway. So this is a product of White Wolf Games. A company that goes back to like 1990 or 91 or so. It's part of the DNA of Ixodraconus. If you look at the dice pool systems and the race plus family plus corp structure, you can see some echoes of the uh, older product in this. One of the things that really helped White Wolf establish itself as a company was that it was the first gaming company to ever focus on storytelling games. And rather than spending too much time talking about the campaign this week, I'd like to kind of look at what a storytelling game is.
1: I think exudraconis definitely falls into that camp. Although it's probably closer to the simulationist end of things than, say, White Wolf is.
0: I I don't honestly know. I think it depends on how you play it. I know that... The structural, mechanical ideas for HSD were supposed to be a kind of a midpoint between the rules light indie and the crunchy uh, crunchy sci-fi games that you might get with like Star Trek or something like that. So it's, it's kind of trying to be a middle road between those. And I think overall it tends to edge more towards character rather than rules, which is, I, I
1: think, one of the defining aspects of yeah. this storytelling game. But uh, it, it doesn't have like the willpower rules and uh, what, what are some of the very charactery things, the very non-literal things that White Wolf does oh, Forgetting one of the mechanics? Uh, I think it's got things that
0: parallel those, but have been kind of stripped out a little bit. Now, yeah, there's no willpower. There's no spendable attributes so much. And
1: the kind of drama, you know, you know if your character is very dramatic, then these attributes will go up and should do so on a regular basis. It doesn't have those. And I, that's not a complaint from me.
2: It has a section at the back that does discuss a more dramatic play style, complete with their version of fate points. Uh-huh. Um, so that is presented as an optional
1: rule.
0: Right. And I think it's more fully implemented in 2.0, but that's still a work in progress.
1: Okay, well.
2: But a lot of the core rules, both around the combat and the combat support abilities, do definitely exist with an eye towards a tabletop, option and support that a lot more than you really see in White Wolf. White Wolf has a couple of lines but it barely touches on anything that's considered like a tabletop or a chainmail derivative type game. You know like the, the battle grid, right? There's a couple of lines that talk about a flanking maneuver but that's really about it. Whereas when you look to HSD you get some of the core combat or some of the combat rules that Not necessarily focus on grids, but support a grid-based combat system all the way back in momentum effects or in some of the family traits.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, and you've also gotten your hand on the 20th anniversary of Werewolf the Apocalypse, which is a heavily evolved system. It's been through at least four iterations, and I think every iteration made the combat rules a little bit more integral to the game. Going back to the original Vampire the Masquerade and the original Werewolf, you would have seen very few of these strategic rules, and Mm -hmm. the math would be less crunchy more freeform i think white wolf would have you roll less and play more and talk more sure and um i don't i don't feel like hsd necessarily goes down that road they don't spend too much time on the don't bother
2: rolling for it concept which is kind of integral to white wolf Mm -hmm. no hsd is definitely comfortable with dice and the random mechanic that that brings on i guess that's probably more than anything else up to your table it it does feel like a, a midpoint between
0: crunchy, crunchy and rules light RP, possibly trending more towards the crunch than the rules light. I'll go with that. Yeah. So if you if you look at the ancestry of this game, a lot of their mechanics were inherited from Shadowrun, which I think is another major influence on Exandria Cones, particularly in the play style and the 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 story arc. Yeah. White Wolf wasn't the first game company to introduce the storytelling type game, which I guess you define that by saying the books focus on character and setting more than rules and crunch. Paranoia is almost pure setting with very little mechanic. True, true. And Toon, which is one of my favorites, is just pure whimsy and very few mechanics. Yeah, but
1: Paranoia is that dystopian... Game. It's kind of the the joke is everyone's going to die and lose.
0: Right, right. And it's more about getting yourself in horrible situations and killing your endless supply of colleagues than uh, the mechanics to do that with. Mm -hmm. I've never actually played it. It looks kind of evil. (laughs)
1: But I think it's funnier on paper than it is actually playing it in my limited experience. Quite possibly. I think there's a group out there that would embrace it. I'm sure there is. I'm not sure I want to play in that group, but I I wish them the best of luck.
0: Comedy games are hard to maintain, and I think that's definitely a comedy-style game. It's just one with a really dark sense of humor. Right. It's been fun to step back into a game that's really more fluff than mechanic. As a consequence, I think we're finding out that White Wolf does not spell out their mechanics very well, because that's not terribly important, and we spent about three hours arguing over initiative.
1: (laughs) Uh, simple questions that you'd think they'd have worked out by now but yeah
0: 20 years in eh. yeah looking at a style of play where the question begins who is my character and what is my character not what is my character stat block and what does that reflect is is rewarding and that's uh it's something you don't get with Dungeons & Dragons, necessarily. You, c- you can, if you work at it, if you're a mature table, you can get there. But it's something that the storyteller games lend themselves to. And I think if you look at the organization of Exindraconis, you'll see it walks into species and corp before it ever touches on mechanic. Uh-huh. And I think that really does show its ancestry.
1: Yeah. What it doesn't do is strongly set up, like the White Wolf games exactly what the conflict is like these are the huge set of conflicts you're going to walk into yeah hsd is more kind of general uh i think you have to work harder to figure out what what are my conflicts going to be in this world
0: well until very recently there wasn't any meta plot at all the scenario was established you know pretty much play was going to be the same 100 years ago 200 years ago as today it's you're existing in a nebulous haze of Megacorp. They are starting to add in metaplot elements, which is, I think, another big hallmark of White Wolf games. Uh, we've got the
2: sudden appearance of Lumen and what that means for us. The metaplot wasn't necessarily there, but the pieces were there, and there was definitely conflict implied. While we do have the description of the major corporate corporations and the life of a vector, they had a full section on monsters and things that are not that are not civilized that are not able to be communicated with that are not able to be reasoned with aliens and while you could treat them simply as monsters i think the difference between the other world other dimensional types the blood fiends and then the i always say this wrong vitae demons vitae demons Mm -hmm. that those are three very, very different things and come from three very different places. And each of those has a, is a metaplot, is a campaign in and of itself, if you want it to be. And that says nothing of the politics of massive megacorporation daily life. So while the surface is calm, the, the conflict is definitely there. And I think the book did do a pretty good job of providing that as uh, strings that the GM can pull and start putting things together. I don't think that it really needed to make conflict too in your face because this is still very similar to a lot of the sci-fi that we're familiar with. You can you can lift Firefly and r- play that campaign in HSD without right. any effort. Mm-hmm. Like that there is nothing there other than instead of you know two warring factions, you have two mega corporations. You can lift almost every Star Trek episode or season into HSD without too much of an effort to save only some of the next generation stuff, which was a little bit too utopian. But I think the original HSD definitely had to save some space, but walked a very fine line and was actually really successful at providing ways to generate conflict without having to actually just make it apparent. Mm -hmm. It's nice that it's coming into some of the lore books and we are moving into a meta plot of its own, Uh, but I would not say it's not necessarily lacking there. With a
0: sci-fi game, you get an emphasis on equipment, technology, ships, and things like that, and that tends to pad out lots and lots of pages, whether you want it to or not. Right. Uh, And then adding the body modification technology in, which is kind of a similar set of mechanics. I feel like if that had gone away, we would have gotten a book that was more focused on the tribalism of the megacorporations, which is what the lore book is leading with. If you look at the first werewolf book, you will focus on building the tribes, building the culture, and then building the the epic quest that is the entire backdrop of the game but hsd really is much more of a sandbox at least at first there are some plot generating elements that can kind of crystallize a plot as you need them but no real firm direction for the game master and that was one thing that really frightened me about the product line is white wolf has this meta plot and you can just kind of spin off of an eddy of it HSD doesn't have, doesn't have a metaplot you have to really fend for yourself in terms of finding a direction for your party, which is scary to me.
2: Yeah, And that is something I've struggled with, which is why I'm, I've been taking advantage of the chance to weave in and out other campaigns just to take breaks and then jump back into the story, is because there is a lot of open space and there's a lot of unfilled space and that can be if you don't have a metaplot that you're bringing forward, mm-hmm. you, you can stumble there. Yeah. On the subject of Metaplot, looking forward
0: to the next game of werewolf of non werewolf the apocalypse. Uh, we have finished with the apocalypse and are going to be sitting in its aftermath. So I'm looking forward to playing Werewolf the Apocalypse without any werewolves and without any
2: apocalypse in upcoming games. Those whiny werewolves. Werewolfless the post apocalypse. Exactly. <laughs> Just a post note to that. If you take a look at it, though, HSD is occupying the sci-fi space. And while sci-fi maybe isn't the the most popular of pop cultures, there are some that are larger, it is still a very large space with a lot of stories out there, HSD can get away without having a meta plot initially because you can lift Star Trek, yeah, you've Firefly, got, several others. you got space police. Exactly. Go. I think that's one of the things that, the White Wolf series, had a little bit more of a challenge with. Because if you talk about other werewolf stories, there is usually just one werewolf story that is retold several times by several people. Or there is one vampire story that has been retold several times by several people before the 90s. Because I'm not going to talk about any vampire stories that came out after that. (laughs) They're tainted. (laughs) So just the, the depth of pop culture that you can draw from was a little bit shallower so by having that built into the story itself by having that metaplot you, you were able to provide a lot more for the gamer to dig in into the story itself like i've said i, I don't think hsd lost much by not having as immediate a metaplot because there's so many other sources that a gm or a party can draw from to play a sci-fi like hsd yeah sci-fi sci-fi goes back to you know at least 1920, if not
0: further in its current form. Uh, But if you look at White Wolf, you're playing in well, in what eventually becomes the supernatural romance genre, which wasn't really a thing back past uh, Mm -hmm. like the mid-90s. You could even point to Anita Blake. Is that her name? Anita Blake Vampire Hunter? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest, oldest franchises in the supernatural romance world. Mm -hmm. That's written by the author of I Strahd. She started with Ravenloft pick, hmm. so to a degree the dark horror storytelling games may have kicked off the supernatural romance period I mean them and Anne Rice
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it's all connected
1: interesting it, and, and there, there is the, the, the downside to the very very specific setting like the White Wolf games is that I find it kind of like a straight jacket. They have this very, very specific thing. And my character ideas tend to not fit their world very well. I have to really work to, to, to go with that. That's the downside. Um, where it's more open, you can do what you want, but, I know, but, but I, I think limitations are, are helpful.
2: You can contrast that to earlier D and D even, Three point oh, three point five was kind of gained away from that. Before that, when you had the themed worlds or the themed books, uh-huh. certain worlds—if you were a dwarf, you were either this type of dwarf or that type of dwarf. This type of dwarf acted this way; the other type of dwarf acted this way, uh-huh. and there were no other dwarves. That was it. If if you wanted to play one of the other demi humans, there was exactly one type of other demi human, and you played them that way because that's how they were, and. If you're a rebel, you're just going straight off out of the book, and and that was it. I'm not
0: sure. If, I'm not sure if we've evolved past that yet or not. Uh. Yeah. There comes a time in each man's life, but he can't even believe his own eyes. Well, after your description, I don't think I'd want to see it either.
2: Is it time for our weekly Musk minute?
0: Yes. Yes, in fact, Ashtar, it is time for our weekly Musk Minute, as I would like to ask the hosts what they thought was awesome in news and media this week, with a specific emphasis on astronomy, fuzzy animals, science, and technology. Oh, that
1: kind of Musk. Okay.
2: (laughs) Yes. We we stopped talking about Longo already.
1: Uh, In my heart. I I, I really like that that one that I mentioned about the... uh, the giving away a, pat- a patent to the to the Indian tribe, I think that's just really really interesting.
0: Is that a, a recent story?
1: Yeah, that's just t- today.
0: Well, we'll look that one up.
1: Yeah, well, and it, it, it's an extension of the Indian tribes that have the casinos, because the one thing that they can definitely sell is they have their own set of laws, and if they want to make something legal then they can. That that that's a a syllable commodity. And that's, I don't know, that, that, that goes interesting places in, in a modern, very well-connected world.
0: That's a really interesting concept, a, a territory, well, an industry of having flexible and accommodating laws. I mean, I guess you get that with
1: China, Ireland. Sure. Or, 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 or China, where you, you can go there, they'll produce your product incredibly cheaply and probably be, sell it themselves on the side.
0: Our, our werewolf game is set in Delaware, and across the street from the party's headquarters is the building that has 25,000 corporate headquarters in it to take advantage of Delaware's lenient tax laws.
1: Those are useful. There's one country—it's an African nation, like Liberia or something. I think that one's made up. But, no. <laughs> but the, 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 there's—it's a small country— the, Tons and tons of ships are registered to that country because it's very cheap to register ships at, not because they ever go there. They send their $50 once a year or whatever, but it's disproportionate. I remember when I was visiting the coast, I was asking my father, why are all these ships from this place? And that's what he told me for economic reasons. Hmm. That goes along with uh,
2: Pacific Island, internet tax havens, that type of thing.
1: Or hot, black, busy autos spending a year dead for tax purposes?
2: (laughs) Well, I don't really have anything fuzzy animal related, and this one is not, surprise, surprise, Musk related. But fresh from the news desk of games I follow but will never, ever, ever play, uh, we had some more interesting, to an outsider, political machinations in Eve again, with another massive heist of somewhere around 20,000... U.S. dollar worth of in-game currency and stuff. So if you're a fan of that type of thing, go take a look. It's it's a fun article to read as long as you're not the one getting heisted. You, you know you've killed White Wolf, right? I'm aware of that. Okay. I'm aware of the audience here, too. <laughs> <laughs> but it it is a space game. And that being said, it's a very... Corporate world there's not a lot of government over control over control on the eve industry it's all funded by the players it's all funded by the player corporations with the mega corporations that have incorporated their own areas and space and are waging nonstop war against each other both above the table and under the table you can see where I can see some certain parallels here with our topic of discussion normally white Wolf says that the worm made this program. <laughs> This one specifically was interesting to me because it was game mechanics that did not happen in game. That this was yet again a flipping of a major founder of a large player guild and that was done completely well not completely, but mainly in person and mainly face to face. So, so it was, social engineering? Not even that. It was just during some of the conventions that Eve regularly throws where they invite some of the major players In to have face-to-face meetings and Uh get-togethers, just doing a lot of market research and in-game research, certain people identified that some of the other leaders may be a little bit unhappy with the situation or the way that the guild was being controlled. And they literally talked around the number two of a very large guild into flipping and just completely turning coat and taking down the entire corporate assets at the same time. I, this, this world, this game
0: fills me with such a deep feeling of sorrow and despair. I cannot, I cannot easily express it. It reminds me of all of the LARPs I've been in, and there have been quite a lot that have been taken down to pure hell by a couple of self-centered players.
2: But within the EVE world, it's kind of understood that that is the game. I I don't, I'm not going to play it. (laughs) Which is why I've said this is my favorite game that I will never, ever, ever play. It is an interesting social sandbox for sure. And it is a largely ungoverned corporate space game. Mm -hmm. So to bring this back around to HSD in more ways than just parallels, if you ever want a more militarious or a more espionage. Is that even a word? No. I'm going to say that's a word. It's not I a just word. made that a word. You that can't. is my word. You no, cannot tell me that, that I, I cannot Yes, answer.
1: I can. Espionage. <laughs> Who
2: has the English major here? Who is or has? Yes. I can't answer that. <laughs> well, it's not me. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to claim it anyway. Sure. The word, not the major. I have learned so much about you over the last two episodes. <laughs> anyway, I do find it an inspiration for certain darker plots. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a good resource for GMs in HSD to look at and see how some of those plots develop and see how some of the twists play out to provide a little bit more depth to some of the corporate espionage.
0: Yeah, you could compare it to a shareholders meeting and the outsider's experience of that pretty pretty one-to-one correspondence. Mm-hmm. So I have two news stories that I think are a lot of fun this week. Uh, one of them is not recent. It's been percolating since 2007, 2004 or so. And that is, uh, well, there's all sorts of news about the Cassini probe and how possibly before we finish editing this episode, it will have crashed into Saturn and sent some fantastic final images of its uh, descent. There will be operatic songs in the background. It will be quite an astronomical experience. One faucet of this, which I read about during some recent just highlights of stories, is uh, Titan, the moon of Titan, which is the second largest moon in the system. It's one and a half times the size of our moon. And it's fantastic climate that it has. Uh, Titan has winds, rain, clouds, precipitation, oceans. It's methane ethane. It's not water, but it's very analogous to the way patterns develop on Earth. There's cryovolcanoes to add some churn to things. There's uh, some neat features that we don't have, like in these methane ethane oceans. There's... uh, what was called magic islands for a while, which were these anomalous, sparkling, kind of fractal-looking landmasses that would appear and then disappear. It turned out they were islands made of bubbles, like little inch-wide bubbles, which remind, makes me think of, like, Christmas bubble lights percolating up from the depths of this this very hostile, negative 200-degree ocean. There's even sand dunes that are made of, like, frozen uh, carbo, carbo, carbon carbon molecule train stuff yeah carbon stuff they kind of blow around in this wind It just the the analogies to an exciting climate like earth are are just all over the place and it's a really exciting setting it's one it's a place isn't postulated as maybe having the potential for certain weird forms of life so I, i've been reading about this recently i wasn't aware of this before when it was first discovered it's been a really fun story to see mm-hmm. and uh neat stuff And not quite as cosmic, but I thought this was a fun thing to kind of visit from my childhood. Over the last few years, since like 2013, Disney has been releasing a series of kind of Criterion Collection uh, soundtrack remasters of their, maybe not their classic, but their most important movies. They started with Lion King, yay, and then went to Mary Poppins, and then a couple others. Most recently, after uh, a little break, they released the Robin Hood soundtrack. And each of these has like a little booklet. It's got a cleaned up remastered version of the original soundtrack. And then it's got another CD full of just miscellaneous outtakes and variations and just extraneous things that are part of the story. Mm -hmm. So the Robin Hood one, of course, Robin Hood is a very dear movie to a lot of furries, has a couple of neat features. It's got a new version of Whistle Stop that's apparently a lot of fun. I haven't heard it yet. (laughs) And a version of uh, Love Goes On, which is the the love song that's in Robin Hood and it pops up in uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox as well. That's sung by a guy. It's sung by a person who has occasionally voiced Robin Hood. Not the lovely British-ish voice of Brian Brian Bedford, but uh, his name is Pete Renaday, who has been steadily doing voice acting since 1975. He actually played Splinter in the Mutant Ninja Turtles, both the TV show and the regrettable live musical tour and he's still doing things he did like Ben 10 and things like that so I think that a substantial percentage of furries are going to be excited by Mm -hmm. that love song sung by if not Robin Hood a person that occasionally played some of Robin Hood's incidental whistles and hums yeah just having a guy sing it is kind of neat too it's a pretty song Manimi can you give me a sample of Love Goes On whatever's allowable under fair use And that's available on Amazon and iTunes and some other places as well.
1: And it also has an early plot treatment written by a young George R. Martin that not sadly used. Really? No, I just made that up. that would be <laughs> really cool though, wouldn't it?
0: Oh, you. <laughs> oh, so that's all we have time for right now. And we will catch up with you soon on the topic of blips and catchy outro line. Intro Music is Future Club and Outro Music is Chronicles, both by Sirius Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, radiofreedamos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.